Thanks for listening to the Women Emerging podcast. Every week we put up a new episode with insights into leadership, practical leadership, seen through the eyes of women leaders of all ages and all sectors from right across the world. Our aim is for women to be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and join Women Emerging on our website, womenemerging.org. That's womenemerging.org for more fabulous free leadership content. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Julie Middleton here, Women Emerging Director and your podcast host. Well, I suppose sort of half a host this week. (laughs) My voice has gone. You'll have to forgive me. But you've got sort of a double a person, though, because today we're talking to Miriam, who will talk through five things that she has learned about leading and use five objects to illustrate them. And Miriam is, I think, very, very special. Um, She is half my age. No, that's mean on her. She's less than half my age. And I think she probably almost certainly has double my wisdom, largely because her life has been quite unique and very extraordinary. I'll let her explain and I'll try and keep quiet. One, because Miriam's fascinating. And two, because... You can't really hear me anyhow, can you? So over to Miriam with her first object, which in fact we have in common. Miriam, when we first met, I had my remarkable pen in my hand and you jumped on it. (laughs) We both have remarkables. So I think your first object, in fact, is a remarkable Maybe you should start by just telling everybody what this thing we have in common are remarkable. I hope it's that we are both remarkable, but also that we both use them are remarkable. So tell us about your first object. Yes, my first object is my remarkable. I remember when I first got it for myself and I was like, this is really expensive. Like, do I want to purchase this new tech toy? It's very much an adult tech toy, you know, like a remote car for a kid that's just too expensive, but I decided to get it and to try it. And it was definitely one of the best purchases I made this year. And the reason why is to me, one of the main points and one of the main ways to be a good, thoughtful leader is to know exactly how you feel about what you're leading, what your opinions are, who you are, what you care about. And the best way to go about that is to reflect and introspect. It's to ruminate and understand the world that we exist in and the world that we live in and what we want out of it. And so that's why I chose this notebook. Even right now, I'm in Israel, you know, a very, very controversial place. And once I came here, I got tons of hate on my social media. My followers have just been going down, 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 using thousands of followers every single day. And it's hard. I'm a Jewish person, you know, I didn't grow up here. I constantly get asked in the United States, what's my opinion on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? And I was getting asked this when I was 17 years old, knowing nothing about Israel, absolutely nothing. And so to me, this notebook is about trying to understand, trying to make sense of a world that will never make sense. You know, trying to reflect and 
learn and educate myself and form my own opinions on what is going on. And so coming into places of conflict, understanding what is happening here. Why am I getting so many questions about Israel prior to even coming to Israel? Is it because I'm Jewish? You know, and understanding how my Indian friends aren't necessarily getting asked about the Hindu-Muslim conflict happening between Pakistan and Bangladesh, you know, and how the British mandate of Palestine partitioned Israel similarly around the same, or wanted to, but similarly around the same time of the Bangladesh-Pakistani conflict. And there's been millions of displaced Muslims and Pakistanis there when there's been hundreds of thousands of displaced Jews and Muslims here. And just how certain conversations, maybe how are they being discussed and really reflecting on what, how do I feel about all this? What does it, what does it mean to me? I have this concept of what an influencer is. Yeah. And I have the concept that influencers spend their entire life with their fingers on keyboards. Yeah. But in fact, you chose a, a remarkable because you write with your hand. Yes. I mean, I know why I chose it because I write with my hand but also I love drawing pictures and doodling. And when people are boring, I'm always scribbling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know, but why, why do you need, why do you need to capture? Why do you need to do pure journaling, but with your hand? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. One of my favorite like, Rumi is a uh, Sufi poet, um, a Muslim Sufi poet. And he wrote hundreds of thousands of poems. You know, he's one of the most prolific romantic writers, actually. And I find it fascinating how someone writes hundreds of thousands of poems with their hand. Uh, in the in going back thousands of years, there was no typing. And I think that if this guy can do it, you know, if these people, there's tons of people who write a copious amount of books throughout history, hundreds of thousands of pages with their hands, you know? And to me, there's a beauty to that. To me, there's a beauty to the time, the pure, the sheer time that it takes to write with your hand uh, because it forces you to slow down. I mean, I think we live in a society where it's all about efficiency and speed and using my notebook forces me to spend time on each word that I write. Oftentimes when I'm journaling, I'm not even writing. Like I'm just sitting there thinking about what the next word is going to be for like a minute in my head. And then I write, you know? And so the reason why I love the notebook is because it forces me to slow down and really figure out what I, what I think and what I want to say to my notebook. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So go on, tell us about your next object. Yeah, so the next object is my GPA score. It's my transcript. What's a GPA for those of us who are ignorant? Grade point average. That's it. That's it, that's it. And this is something that I'm sure so many people have struggled with, have had to stress about getting that C minus or like, you know, trying to get into a school they want to get into and just this score, this number representing themselves, two entities, two places that they want to be a part of. And that's scary, you know? And so the reason I chose my GPA is because I do not have a good GPA. 
And I do not let that stop me. So right now, for example, I was really contemplating, really struggling with the idea of applying to the Rhodes Scholarship. It's, I didn't even know actually what the Rhodes Scholarship was prior to going to Stanford because I grew up in very much under a rock. And I didn't know that it was important to have a good GPA when I, once I was in Stanford. I was like, oh, I got it and I did it. You know, now I can like just take whatever class I want. I don't have to get a good grade. But for the Rhodes Scholarship, you need a minimum of 3.7. I have nothing near a 3.7 GPA. And I decided that I wanted the scholarship. Anyways, and I called, I, I went to the Stanford Rhodes Committee, reached out to them saying I want to apply. They hopped on a call with me, even though they weren't responding to me at first because I didn't even qualify. And I said to her, like, look, like, I don't want you to speak yet. I want you to hear my story. This is why my GPA score is low. This is what the story is. And she said to me, just so you know, it's super unlikely that they're even going to look at your application. No one in Stanford's history has ever even tried to apply with a score below a, a 3.7. And I've been working with Stanford for over 20 years on this. So she's like, it's very, it's not going to happen pretty much. And I was like, great, I'm going to be the first one then, you know? And so to me, my, the reason I chose this GPA score is because I don't want to let the idea of impossible stop you. That's what being a leader is. It's just an idea of impossible. My mother always says no is simply a slow yes. Just because somebody says no, just because you don't qualify, doesn't mean you shouldn't try. You genuinely miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And Henry Ford actually says one of my favorite quotes, which is whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And so I don't want to let the idea of thinking I can't because I don't qualify stop me from doing something. I want to dare to think that I can. And if I don't get it, then I know that I gave it my all. And my philosophy is just to try anyways. And so that's kind of what that represents to me. Yeah. Does that make you a slightly dangerous leader? Yeah, totally. 100%. Because that means that people have a reason to fear me. Because nothing's going to stop me. Them saying no, you know, my lack of qualifications, my small body, you know, none of that's going to stop me from going places and doing things. And so 100% it makes me a dangerous leader. Just, just help me. I really struggle with the expression fake it. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, I, I think probably for obvious reasons, you know, faking it to other people is horrible. Faking it to yourself is pretty horrible. Yeah. So do you use the expression fake it? Yes, I do. Faking it is one of my, fake it till you make it is one of my biggest slogans in life. And that very much ties into this and this idea of going for it anyways. And one of the reasons why I love that expression too is because it's so ambiguous. So many people define it in different ways. And I love that, to be honest with you. And that's why I own it. I own that. And because to me, Faking it is about literally lying to yourself, literally saying to yourself, I qualify. I qualify for the scholarship. That's not true. You don't. You genuinely do not qualify for the scholarship, but you're saying to yourself that you do so that you believe that you will succeed. 
and whatever it is that you're trying to do. And so faking it is about faking confidence. It's about faking belief in yourself when you just don't have it, but allowing yourself to do the rhythms, to walk the steps towards whatever that goal is anyways. That's what faking it is to me. And so my podcast is called Faking It, and it's all about empowering women to do just that. Yeah. Okay. I've reframed the word fake. Your next object is the most ridiculous pair of glasses I've seen in a very long time. Yes. So I don't know if this is a video podcast too, but these are my glasses. Heart-shaped. I love wearing them. They're my favorite pair. I bring them with me everywhere. have multiple of them. They're like $7 on Amazon. So anybody can get them. Uh, And... The reason that these are my favorite, that this represents so much to me, is because my last name is made up. My last name used to be Hendler, uh, and now it's Hart. And so that is what these heart-shaped glasses to me represent, is my vision of changing my last name to Hart. And the reason I did that is because, and this is very interesting, the reason I did that is because my mother, actually, she coined the last name first. And her maiden name is Labov which in Hebrew, lev means heart. And that's kind of where heart came from. And she just did it with two A's because it looks sexier that way. Uh, and her vision, her vision was that this name represents our new life, our life of freedom, of em- empowering and inspiring women to take ownership of their lives too. And I bought into that vision. And so these heart-shaped glasses represent a vision that you have to find and then buying other people and helping them buy into the vision too. So to be a good leader is not just to tell people what to do. You know, it's not just, just to say, this is what I want. This is our goals. These are, these are the metrics we're trying to hit, but it's about giving people their why. My why is freedom. And I represent that why through my last name. And whenever you're leading a group of people, it's about giving them this motivation, telling them this is the why. This is why we're working hard. This is why we're doing what we're doing, because we need to give somebody this internal drive, this internal motivation. It can't come from you. It has to come from within. And it's about helping them buy into whatever your vision is. And so that's what these glasses represent to me. And that's what I think is so important in terms of being a good leader. And they... It's interesting because your motivation now and your way of living life and is is almost diametrically, almost violently diametrically opposed. Oh yeah, the one you lived in till you were what sixteen. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so for some context, I grew up in a very fundamentalist religious community where women were married often in teenage years, did not use birth control. My sister was in an arranged marriage, my mother, my grandparents, all my aunts, and had multiple children. Women had to cover their bodies, their hair. And so the idea of what was right and wrong in that community was very black and white. This is right. This is wrong. You put on this shoe on first in the morning. You wash this hand first. You Everything is controlled. Everything. And right now, I live a life full of choice. It's debilitating. It's terrible at times it hurts it's hard you know but that is what i want i want to live a life where i have to think about my next my next choice i have to decide okay these are all my options 
let me take my notebook out and figure out what it is I want to do because my entire life I've been told what I'm supposed to do and I'm done with that. So that's what that represents to me, that choice. And I suppose I su when did they decide that you were allowed to be educated and start working towards a better GPS score, GPA score? Yeah, well, so it's actually the story is that that never happened. And what happened was is that I wanted to leave when I was 16 years old. I built an app when I was 13, fell in love with computer science. And once I broke the pillars of morality, of religious morality in my mind, literally shattered them to the ground and had to start from scratch, I asked myself the question, what do I want? And the answer is to build things with, with through engineering. And so I applied for a school, a computer science summer camp in San Francisco, had to lie back to the faking it about taking computer science classes because that was a prerequisite. But my school had no extracurriculars. My school had no AP classes. My school was in a trailer park. So I'm not going to, I wasn't going to let that stop me from applying for this program. Applied anyways. And I qualified in terms of what I knew. And so got accepted, finished high school early, moved to San Francisco, and then spent those two years pretty much working at my ACT score from a 14 out of 36, which is five points below the national average, which is pretty bad. Some parts of the U.S. is like pretty illiterate, you know, and then working it up to the minimum of what Stanford accepts, which is a 31, so more than double. Uh, and yeah, just had my story and had the minimum that I needed to get into Stanford for me to qualify. So that's what I had to do. And then you started wearing outrageous shoes as well as glasses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I can get into that, which is my next object. And I'm literally going to take my shoe off right now and like show you guys. Uh, this is my shoe. It's a bright pink hiking shoe. Uh, and there's a couple things about this I can really talk about. So in particular, sneaker. My brand is platforms or crazy sneakers. That's my brand in terms of the shoes I wear. And what's interesting about this sneaker, and I'm glad I wore a sneaker, not a platform today, is because when I was in sixth grade, I was bullied as a kid, uh, which is very common for leaders. I feel like they get bullied, you know? And my mom went to PTA and the teacher said to her, can you please buy your daughter? Like, is there something financially going on in your family? And my mom was like, why are you asking me that? That's like a weird question. And she said, well, your daughter wears like the same pairs of Skechers every day and she gets made fun of for wearing sneakers. Can you buy her like a pair of nice flats or like something that's more appropriate so she doesn't get made fun of? Like she's being bullied for it. So my mom came home and she pulls me to the side. She's like, Miriam, let me buy you a pair of like nice flats. Like, why are you wearing these sneakers? You're being bullied. Like, I didn't know. Why didn't you tell me this? And I was like, I don't care. I like wearing sneakers. How else am I supposed to run outside? and do what I like, what I want during recess. Like I want to run around, you know? And so that whole idea of me wearing sneakers is about me being radically myself, even from a young age. I didn't care that I was being bullied. They could have made fun of me, but I didn't want to wreck around with uncomfortable shoes. And to me, I loved wearing sneakers, even at that age. And so wearing what you want to wear, being who you are, radically being who you are being your radical authentic self is essential to being a good leader because what does a leader do they create the norm they be they are themselves outside of what is considered a right you know and 
people like that. People like to follow someone who is themselves, who is someone who isn't following another person. That's what it means to be a leader, to just do you. And I think especially for women, we feel this pressure to emulate what we think a leader is. And usually those people filling those roles are men who are at times representing masculinity, aggressiveness, forthrightness. And yes, it is good to be forthright and to be aggressive at times. It doesn't mean we need to fully emulate what a male leader represents. We can be ourselves, whatever that means. To me, that doesn't mean wearing sexy clothes. It means wearing a shirt that says as beautiful as possible, you know, to all my meetings, wearing my bright pink sneakers and my shorts that I find to be extremely comfortable without a bra, you know, like that to me is being a radical leader. This is what being a woman to me means. And so wearing what you want to wear, being exactly who you are outside of what is considered how you're supposed to dress, act and behave is what being a radical leader is. And I think it's very important and okay to do. I love that. Thank you. I love that. I tell you, Miriam, uh, because I recognize another woman who doesn't wear makeup. I've never worn makeup ever, ever, ever. I tell you, it gets even more difficult as you get old Mm -hmm. because everybody keeps on telling you, oh, you could hide that with with makeup. And the answer is, why would I hide it? Right. Uh, But yes, not 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 wearing the uniform that somebody else has decided that you have to wear yeah that's that's beautiful and it and it leads on um has anybody ever called you a contrarian yeah <laughs> and you're Definitely. proud of it yeah mm-hmm. that very I've, yeah i am proud of it mm-hmm. yeah I just don't think it's a contrarian. <laughs> to be okay. who you are is not to be a contrarian. Totally. We're coming to the we're coming to the fifth object, yes. which is which is a great object. It's a fascinating object. Mm-hmm. It's a brave object. Thank you. Go on, explain it. So here there's two objects actually in particular, which is but the one that really stands out is my second phone. Uh, and the reason I even had this in the first place was because my podcast is portable and I carry all the equipment in my backpack. And so I needed a camera that was very small to fit everything. And so I bought a very old iPhone, iPhone mini, to act as my camera for my podcast. And I was reading a book about... It's called Dopamine Nation by Dr. Anna Lemke. Definitely recommend it. It talks about this attention economy that we live in. And I was realizing that I very much have an addiction to my phone. I get anxious when I am not near it. You know, I even when it's on Do Not Disturb, I constantly tap the screen. The amount of times I tap, I'm tapping my phone screen to see if I got a notification is absurd. You know, there was a portion of my mind dedicated to my device at all times. When that ping went off, even if I was sleeping, I became awake. I was so alert to it. I was so attuned to it. And by reading this book and having these conversations, I realized that I wanted a complete disconnect from my device. I wanted abstinence from my phone, which is the first step to breaking addiction. 
Uh, and so that's what I did. I was in New York City and I thought about it for a long time. And I thought to myself, is it possible for me to literally go off my device? Something that I've never done in my entire life. I've had a phone since I was 12 years old. It was a flip phone, but I still had a phone since I was 12. So all my adult life, I've never been without a device. And I was like, I'm in New York City. I know exactly how to get to my office. You know, like I genuinely don't really need it, actually. Uh, and so I decided to use my podcast camera, which is a phone, deleted all the apps off of it. Everything. You can actually, you'd be surprised how many apps you can delete off your phone. You can delete the health app. You can delete pretty much everything. And so I just had the New York subway app, which is a, a map, a photo of the map. So I didn't even have a map. This is just, I would look at this to figure out where I needed to go. And decided to use this as a camera because I'm an influencer too. So I wanted to make a point with this as well. I journaled every single day about my experience. I wanted to make a point that even influencers could, could get off their phones and use a camera to take videos. I had a phone on here. I got a new SIM card and only my mom had it for emergencies and my sister. And they didn't know the number either. Only I was able to contact them. So that's what I did. And I did it for eight days. And then that turned into 16 days. And then after that, I decided to create a system where on this device, only my best friends have this number. And I only even text them for like plans of very otherwise they know not to use this number because they know i'm like don't text me about like a meme you know text my other phone if it's about something random um and i love living life with this phone because it allows me and i use it whenever i go out my other phone that has instagram on it is only when i'm home and i love it because it allows me to be present in a way that i have not been present in the past 12 years of my life genuinely I have nothing to search or look at or talk to when I'm out and about in this world. I am fully in, in the moment on my computer or, or when I'm walking in the street, it's silent. You know, it's very radical. It's a very different experience. And I was told that I'm crazy for doing this by my family, by my friends the amount of like literally shit that I got from the people that love me because they're like, man, this is so, annoying. I can't contact you. Like, ah, you know, and I'm like, sorry, this is what I want to do. Uh, it took a lot of, a lot of courage and really just a lot of conversations with myself to be like, do I want this? Why am I doing this? And even though I was called crazy, I didn't let the idea of that stop me. And I think that's like the, the point of this, of what I'm trying to, to get across is that oftentimes we want to do things that seem crazy, you know, buying another phone and using that as an influencer going out and like just being disconnected, like just tons of things at doing pushups. I remember like sometimes I was cold and just being like, all I want to do is do pushups right now and just getting down and doing pushups. It doesn't matter. The idea of crazy constantly stops us from achieving what we want to achieve because we say to ourselves, that's weird. You know, that's different. That's not normal. And we can't let the idea of normalcy stop us. What I think it means to be a good leader is, a leader is to embrace crazy, is to say, yeah, that's kind of strange. Yeah, that's not normal. But not letting that idea of crazy stop us from achieving what we want to achieve and doing what we want to do. It's really about radically coming into yourself and asking yourself, what do you want? And not letting crazy stop you. Because crazy can stop you, can't it? If someone tells you you're crazy, it can stop you. And in a way that goes back to 
the GPA score, the note taking, everything. It's almost embracing the crazy ideas, making the crazy things happen, wearing the crazy shoes, wearing the crazy glasses, but not thinking of them as crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that like I've decided that crazy to me is normal. Crazy is my normal. And I was lucky to have that be proven to me by growing up in a community that I decided was crazy. I decided that's, I don't want that to be my normal. And I was told my entire life that that's normal. And so then I said, well, if I'm saying that my normal isn't normal, then I get to apply that to everything in life. Clearly this world wasn't built for me, so why do I have to play by its rules? And you don't need to be from a fundamentalist religious community to say that. You can be queer, you know, and be like, well, this idea of a couple that I'm being shoved down my throat doesn't apply to me. And therefore, why should I play by the rules of everything else if clearly the system was built for a straight, white, rich man? You know, that's the world we live in. That's the world that, like, seats and cars, they were designed for men. That's one more women statistically die by airbags than men. And it's, we live in a world that wasn't built for us. We just don't. And so why, why should we play by its rules? They're going to call us crazy by playing by the rules that genuinely make sense to us. And we cannot, we cannot let that stop us. Miriam, thank you so very, very much. I see nothing crazy in you. I just see passion and honesty and courage. And those are all surely essential elements of leading. So thank you. Another extraordinary leader next week. And hopefully also me with a proper voice. Lots of love in the meantime. To become part of our movement and share your thinking with us, subscribe to the podcast and join the Women Emerging group on our website at womenemerging.org. We love all of the messages you send us. Keep them coming.